Sorry, I, I'm, I'm going old school. <laughs> no laptop. Um, thank you. Let's, let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that um, you are so good to us, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have spoken so loudly to us already. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would come into this room even with even uh, more of a manifest presence, Lord. And I ask that you would be ministering to each person here because you are so good. You're so loving and you're so kind. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're going to start at the very beginning um, in Genesis 1. And we'll read the whole Bible. <laughs> no, 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 I just uh, I thought it was a great way to start because it says, In the beginning, God. He was there. God was from the very beginning and eternity past. Before there was light on the first day, before the heavens were created, before the land and the sea and the sky, before any animals, there was God. He was there. Before the birds and the fish, before he created man, and all the amazing things that he called good, he was there. First John 1 through 4 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So today I'm going to be talking about a lot about the spiritual realm. And uh, I just wanted you to get a real um, clear picture about uh, that the spiritual realm was first. And the spiritual realm is eternal. And it says in 2 Corinthians, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. So we have this whole dimension that was here before the earth was created. And it wasn't just a, you know, nebulous cloud or even a, uh, a spirit, you know, that filled everything. You know, there's, there was a Godhead, the three in one, and there was there's like a world of things that we cannot see with our earthly eyes. But I'm telling you that that realm is the eternal reality. And what we see here, what seems so solid, the things that we depend upon, they are passing away. So the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on what is unseen. The spiritual is first. The spiritual is eternal. And anything on earth that we see 
is a temporal copy just pointing, a huge arrow pointing to the, the spiritual eternal realm. Okay. So we're going to go through some examples of that. Uh, first, I want to look at Revelation 1 and verse 12, if you want to turn there. This is John. He's at the end of his life on the Isle of Patmos, and he goes into this vision where his spiritual eyes are opened. It's not, you know, that he had a thought in his head. He didn't have a dream. His spiritual eyes were open, and he saw. It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. And I want to say to you, before the earth was even created, before fire was made, in the spirit realm there was fire because his eyes have always been a blazing fire. Before wool was made, his hair was white like wool. And before the sun was created, his face shone brighter than all the suns and stars in this universe. See, there is, there's a reality in the supernatural that comes before and supersedes anything that we see and has been created in this realm. Um, in Psalm 103, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And this is a little bit of revelation and a little bit of my uh, sanctified imagination. But I can, I can just imagine the Lord Jesus, because all things were created through him. He's sitting around with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and they're thinking about what they want to do uh, as they're creating this earth. And he says, ah, I, you know, I really, I want to create in such a way so they can clearly see who I am and, and what I do. And so here's, here's my thought. I want them to know that my love is like so great, so high, like, it's unending. I just, I want them to be able to get a grasp of my love. Like, what do you think? How should we, how should we put that in place in this earth that we're creating? So the Holy Spirit says, well, how about if we take, like, how about if we make like 10 billion galaxies? And in each galaxy, let's, let's like put maybe an average of like 100 billion stars in those galaxies and we'll just like spread them out like throughout the heavens and 
And the closest one will make 4.3 light years away, which means that if you're traveling 186 miles per second, it would take you 4.6 years to get to the first star. And it goes on and on and on from there. And he's like, that sounds really good. And then he inspired David to say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. So great is his love for those who fear him. So before those stars were made, before the heavens were created, his love was, was, was there. It was there, and that is the reality of his love. So everything that he creates, creates from the smallest thing to the largest, most amazing thing, um, it, it sends us a message. It points to the reality of the supernatural, the reality of God. When I say the supernatural, it's him. It points to him. It points to his kingdom and how he displays his love throughout. Even we were singing that song, You Are Good. Before Adam and Eve were in the garden, before they found out the knowledge of good and evil, good was a reality. Because good is every single thing that God is, everything he does, everything he creates. It's good. And anything that's not good is not God. So I'm, I want, I'm kind of laying that foundation so that we can see that what we're going to be talking about next, there is an earthly reality and there's a spiritual reality. On the sixth day, God created man and he created woman and he put them together and there was the first marriage. But marriage was not created first on that sixth day. It was born in the heart of God. He had designs. In fact, all of history culminates in this one thing, that God is looking for a bride. He's looking. He's planning everything that he's created, all the days he says our days are numbered even before the foundation of the earth. And he's bringing everything and everyone to this point to decide uh, if they're going to say yes to being the bride of Christ. We have a, a clear picture of this in Matthew 22. It says, in the resurrection, no one will marry or be given in marriage. Like earthly marriage is passing away. It's an earthly thing. And even in the best circumstances, it's, uh, it's an, just an arrow. Earthly marriage is an arrow pointing to something so much greater, so much uh, something that's eternal and real. Paul gives us a clue in Ephesians 5. And when he talks about, he talks about um, just how to relate one to another in marriage. And um, I'm going to read it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's some 
hard things in here for some people, but it's, it's the word. And, and uh, my point is the supernatural. So it says, wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is profound. It's like, I feel like as Paul's writing this, He's like somewhere in between two realms. He's speaking to, you know, the church and the people that he has in his mind, but he's also seeing such a clear reality of, of Christ's intention for each one of us and how he relates to us. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. He's like, yeah, all this stuff is good, but really what's really going on here is it's just a picture of Christ and his church. He is taking us. He's washing us. He's cleansing us. He's presenting, him, he's presenting each one of us to himself. So the bride of Christ. Paul understood this reality when he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11:2, 2, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. Now, I know uh, some of this may be really new for some people, and especially for men. This is like, okay, bride, yeah, that's, you know, kind of strange. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, in when he created man and woman, um, it's the two that together that he said is in his image. Like the two beautiful thing, you know, creations that he made when he made man and he made woman, they both together uh uh, reflect just the beauty and uh, awesomeness that is God. And um, uh, so, okay, lost it for a minute there. Um, so when we are, when we're think, trying to think about like bride and, and groom and okay, so I'm a guy, but I'm the bride, you know, here's the thing. The groom pursues the bride. And Jesus is pursuing the heart of each person here. 
He is the one. He's actively just coming after us. He's speaking words of wooing to our hearts. And, uh, and as the bride, you know, male and female, we are the ones who get to respond. We get to respond to him and say yes. I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Okay, if you want to go to Revelation 21, that's another chunk. Just another instance where they talk about the bride. Revelation 21, 2 through 5, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So it's seen as a city, but it's a city filled with those who have said yes to Jesus. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall, shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. Sound good? For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on, on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Jewish betrothal and marrying, marriage traditions at the time of Jesus. So if a man saw a woman uh, that he wanted for a wife, he would probably go talk to his father. They would come and they would settle with the, with the woman's father what would be the appropriate bride price. And in some cultures, you have to pay the family to take your daughter. But in this culture, they saw that she was worthy. She was a jewel and, uh, you know, and was worth something to her family. And so they would, they thought that, you know, it was an honoring thing to give something to the family in exchange for taking one of the jewels of their family. Um, so after the bride price was settled, then they would gather, you know, all the family and friends in a room. I'm sure they, you know, kind of talked to the bride beforehand, but she would come in and um, sit in the middle of the room. And in the presence of friends and family, the groom would pour a cup of wine and say, this is my covenant with you take and drink. He was offering her a symbol of his life's blood, all that he was. She could refuse, but if she received her, his offer, she would take the cup 
and drink. And with one drink, she'd enter into the covenant with her groom. Her lips to the glass was the same as saying, I accept your life, and I give you mine in return. And from that time until she was married, she was referred to by a Jewish term that translates one who had been bought with a price. Then the groom would go back with his family, leave the bride for an undetermined amount of time, probably around a year, and he would start the work of building a place for his bride, a home for her to live in. And he was not done until his father looked it over and said, yes, this is good. You are done. It's time to get the bride. So while, while uh, he was building, she was waiting. She was making herself ready, getting her trousseau, anything that she might think she needed. Um, but she wouldn't see her bridegroom again until the day that he was coming to get her. And she never knew exactly when that would hap happen. Unannounced, he would show up shouting with his wedding party, ready to sweep her off to a seven-day marriage celebration. Isn't that crazy? Um, sounds like fun. Um, when he came, since she didn't know, you know, the exact hour or day, um, when he came, he would take her as she was. She didn't dress up in the wedding dress um, and wait around for him that way. He would come and he would, he would take her just as she was. And at the wedding, he would give her her clean white wedding garments and then present her as the bride. So what does the Bible say concerning this? 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. There is a groom. He paid a huge price that probably no other groom has paid. Well, definitely no other groom has paid because he rose again and then took his bride. <laughs> um says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are his. Was there a cup and a life offered? Matthew 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had give, given thanks to them, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. So I can just imagine him looking at each person in that room, looking them in the eye. He offers the cup, drink it, every one of you. I'm offering you my life's blood. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then he adds, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it with you, with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a man in love 
And it sounds like a man who's, who's, who's uh, he will not let anything come in the way until he brings his bride unto him. Is there preparation and waiting? John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And this is like, I love this language. language. It says, I will take you to myself. It's not just like, yeah, and you can come to heaven with me. We'll hang out. No, this is, this is language that the disciples clearly understood. I will take you to myself. You are mine. We're supposed to be one. We're going to be together. That where I am, you may also be. So is there a wedding feast? Well, there might be if I find my notes. Okay. The rest of it's going to be without notes. <laughs> um, actually, um, we're going to turn to Revelation 19. Here is the problem. At the last minute... It, this was four pages long, and at the last minute, I looked at the page, and I'm like, I will never be able to see that. And so I, I expanded it to 16 point, and, uh, um, and I had page one through four on my printer. And so, yeah, I only pr printed four pages instead of five. So Revelation 19, I know that's my last scripture, so here we go. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Revelation 19, it's at the end of the age. The war has happened, you know, just all the craziness of Revelation. But he says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lord has come. The wedding of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So the culmination of all history is coming down to a wedding. Jesus made it clear what his intentions were. Yeah, we are an army. We're friends of the bridegroom. We're sons and daughters. Um, we're, uh, we're priests and kings, thank you. But at the end of the age, this is what 
is going to be our identity. One of our primary identities is we are the bride of Christ. And for those who know the Lord, who have been in the Lord for a long time, um, we just need to get to know him. Some of us need to get to know him as our bridegroom, as the one who pursues us, as the one who loves us. He washes us clean. He sanctifies us. Yeah, we have to say yes, but he does the work. And you need to know that there is nothing in his heart that is keeping you at arm's length. There's nothing in his heart that wants you far away. His greatest desire is to bring you to himself. If you don't know the Lord, then all, he's say, all he is doing right now is he's holding out the cup and he's saying, will you drink it? I gave my life for you. I'm offering it to you now you don't know the Lord, all you need to do is say yes, and I will take you just as you are. I will take you proudly. There is no shame. There's no sin that can stop my love. Just give me your life. I've already given you mine. So we're going to we're going to go into communion, and um, here's, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we've got three gigantic, <laughs> God-sized goblets. <laughs> we are not messing around. <laughs> and, um, and some amazing bread. And uh, what I'd like for you to do, though, is take this time to just Come forward and say yes to Jesus. Um, so we're going to have a few couples up here just offering or holding the bread and the wine. And just, just come up. And as you approach, oh, we're going to take the bread and dump it into the, the goblet when you come up. And um, as you do that, say yes to the Lord. Just say yes in your heart or yes out loud. I don't care. Um, and, and take that bread. It's, it's the love and essence of Jesus. And, um, and as you do that, position yourself to receive from him because he wants to answer back with his love, with his blessing with his anointed and he wants to draw you close into his heart yeah first of all i think she's so pretty <laughs> like that's my bride i'm so proud of her um amazing but what i was feeling every time i do a wedding or selling our in a wedding we made a We've made a promise that we will renew our vows at every single wedding we're part of. That it's like we are saying yes again. And I just feel like communion for those of you in Christ, as you talked about, it, this is a renewal of our vows today. It's, you know, like husbands and wives that you may have a 25 anniversary where you, you renew. This is a renewal. This is the cup we're taking. It's a renewal. 
For some of you, it's a first-time wedding today. If you are one of those that just responded, this is why the gospel is called good news. It's not called depressing news. It's called good news because he's offering his life in, an, in exchange. It's like what Denor said, exchange for all that mess, because it is a mess. And what I loved about how real things are today, he doesn't wait for us to get the mess cleaned up before he takes us. And so you could be in the midst of hell right now in the greatest mess, and just one yes is enough for you to say, I'm stepping from death into life. And so this is how you're going to witness that I'm going to become born again today. You're just going to take the cup. That is your, your witness before uh, the audience of heaven and this uh, assembly of the saints today. And then what I'd like you to do, if this is your first time saying yes, or it's a, uh, you've been a prodigal and away from the Lord, just tell a friend, just grab a friend you're with and just say, I said yes again, or I renewed, or for the first time, I don't think I've ever known what it is to have this exchange to become, to say yes to Jesus. Let someone know here, confess it with your mouth and make it known. So, um, we're going to go ahead and dismiss. If you have kids, I uh, encourage you to go grab your kids and go do communion. Bring them back in here and do communion with them. This is a family altar. It's a family uh, marriage celebration today. So go grab your children. Bring them back in here. You're dismissed as soon as we're done with this. You can stay out here, hang out. Uh, we'll be back here at 6 o'clock for the Holy Spirit night. We're excited to have you guys. But as you're ready, just come forward to one of these three stations and just say yes again. Amen.